Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 9th, we are studying 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The word of God preached to Christians is pure spiritual milk that sustains us and builds us into the house of God, where he makes us his chosen race, his royal priesthood, the people who belong to to him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Rick Jones. Pastor Jones serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hi, thanks for having me back. As we get started, let's start with context. We've come through chapter one of this rather short epistle, but there's so Mm -hmm. much here. What do we need to know going into chapter two today? Um, you know, I think just with some of the metaphors that Peter uses here, I think it's important to remember who he wrote this to. And that was, uh, believers that had kind of been exiled They're they're They've been dispersed. So they're not in a place that they would consider their home or maybe not a friendly environment anymore. I think that becomes a crucial piece of, of the impact of, of some of the, the lesson today. And then uh, that this was circulated to kind of all believers uh, afterwards. It's, it's what we call it a Catholic epistle or general epistle. So those two things, I think, help us frame it for our use and then how the language in it would have impacted those who originally heard it. The, the thought of the exiles and how Peter identifies his audience as the elect exiles at the very beginning yes. came into my mind, too. Because as we'll see in this text, Peter's going to draw on a lot of Old Testament language that deals with temple things or tabernacle things, holiness things. And as I was thinking about the experience of the people of Judah when they went into exile, one of the biggest lamentations that they had was that the temple was gone. It had been destroyed. They were far away from home. And, And Peter now is writing to exiles, Christians, And yet he refers to them in ways that indicate you haven't lost your temple because the temple is not this building anymore. The temple is is Jesus and you are are being built into that temple with him. It's a really, I mean, as I started to make those connections, uh, it's a really spectacular thing that Peter gives us here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of source for unity and, and strength from that unity that he brings forth in this passage. So let's, let's see in, First Peter chapter two, how the apostle put some of this together for us. First Peter chapter two, beginning at verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is our text for today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Pastor Jones, as, as he begins this chapter, it's very practical. I mean, he's ended the previous chapter. Remember the word, that's the good news that's preached to you. 
And then he begins to describe the Christian life here in this very first verse. Take us into what Peter says there. Yeah, well, yeah, as you said, he's describing the, the Christian life. You know, you're putting away malice, you're putting away deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. He, he lists, these are all things that have to do with untruthfulness. They are deceptive. They are, they are the opposite of, of everything that God stands for. And so he's, it's very important that if we are called to a life in the real truth, the truth that is Christ, our lives are going to be spent trying to drive out all that untruthfulness um, that this world builds into us, um, into our lives. And it, this is kind of always the case, right? What he's basically saying here is you turn, turn away from sin, turn towards God. It's, it's repentance. That's how our lives are always lived. That's the identifying mark of a Christian. We, we seek to be people of the truth, not people of lies or darkness. And that's even, that's the enemy's name. He's the prince of lies. And we are the opposite of that. We, we are in the kingdom that is opposed to his lies, to his deceit. We are in the kingdom of God, which is light and truth and love. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's really building here off things that he said in chapter one, back in, let's see, well, verse 18, he talked about how Christ ransomed us from our feudal ways that we inherited from our forefathers. Or in verse 14, he talked about not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so yeah. things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, those things fall right into that former way of life, that, that, lie, that life of, of lies and untruth from which Christ has ransomed us. Yeah. And, and now Peter's reminding us, put those things away. Live now in, as who you are, as who Christ made you to be. Yeah, yeah. New identities we are given. And so we, we live our lives within those new identities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, the Lutheran paradigm for that is every day is a life of that repentance. We, we drown that old Adam or that old Eve every single day. Uh, and that's what it looks like. It looks like actively putting off that that brokenness, actively putting off that 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 evil that is the opposite of truth. Um, but what's interesting is immediately after he says, you know, live your lives this way, he, he, he shows us the motivation for it, right? Verse three uh, talks about uh, seeking, uh, what our motivation for seeking truth is. We live a life dedicated to casting off sinfulness because we have received God's blessed grace in Christ. Uh, it, it, it comes from him. That is, we've tasted that the Lord is good. And so we're going to long for that. Four and five continue to explain it. You know, the motivation for our lives of faith, we respond to Jesus's work on our behalf. It's always gospel motivated living. It's not law. We can't do it on our own. The law will just drive us further into brokenness. And so it has to be motivated by that gift that's given. Uh, it, reverberate, it reverberates uh, with God's power to change our lives. We're transformed by his work for us. Uh, his illusion of milk is, is, is sort of the the reminder of that, you know, once you've tasted it, you, you want it. It keeps us going. Milk is a substance that sustains us as infants, the, the, the very thing that provides our life on an ongoing basis is everything we need to keep us going, to nurture us and to help us grow. And so as Christians, what is our milk, but the word of God, as God's chosen people, we, we, we cherish it. We, we hold it dear. We, we want to be drinking of that truth as often as possible. Once we've tasted the fulfillment of all of our needs, of course, we're going to long for it. You can kind of look at it as the the blessing side or the, the sanctified side of the third commandment, right? You um, do not, excuse me, <laughs> remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I, f- I forgot the order for a second. Uh, we, we fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred, you know, holy, set apart. We gladly hear and learn it. That's what our lives look like when we live in God's community. When we've tasted these things that he offers us, that is what our lives look like. We want it in our lives. So we are sustained by the word of God. So what else would we want but to have more of it? I think think of Peter's response uh, to Jesus when he asked the disciples, were you going to turn away also? Uh, that was after he had just taught about, you know, the necessity of eating Jesus's body and drinking his blood. Uh, people said, this is uh, this is too hard of a teaching. Who can accept this? And they all start to go away. Uh, 
And when he asks the disciples, so are you going to leave too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Just a beautiful confession of, of what it means to follow him. And we always talk about Peter's great confession of Jesus as the promised Christ to be the foundation of the church. And that's absolutely true, right? On this rock, I will build my church, talking about that confession, that acknowledgement of who Jesus is. But I think Peter's declaration about Jesus' words is also an identifying aspect of who the church is. We are built on that confession, and now this is what the church looks like, those that will seek those words of truth. I don't think it's too big of a stretch to to see that connection from Peter's teachings and his lives and to what we're looking at here, uh, the ongoing longing for spiritual milk. And then what we're going to see in a minute here of us all being built together as the church, as the community of, of God's people into that one spiritual house of God. I think it's all kind of connects fairly easily. Yeah. I mean, it, on, on the one hand, it, you, you start looking at it. It's like, well, well, hold on a second, Peter, which, which image do you want to use? Do you want to <laughs> use the food image or do you want to use the building image? But I do, I do think they go together. Yeah. And I, I really like the connection that you make to John chapter six and, and Peter's confession there, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and how that, that, as you pointed out, that is in the context of Jesus, larger teaching concerning how you're nourished. I mean, he talked about within that discourse in John chapter six, he talked about how the, their fathers ate the man in the wilderness, but they died. Jesus is here as the true bread of life such that we even get to partake of his own body and blood. And that sustains us here, here, Peter's using, you know, he's not talking about the bread of life, but he is using that image of being fed. And he, he takes us to that image of the newborn infant, Mm-hmm. which really ties together some of the things that he's already mentioned in this letter. He's talked about being born again on two occasions in chapter one, all the way back in verse three, Peter said, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. And then just very recently in one verse 23, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So this is, I mean, this, this talk of, of, newborn infants being born mm-hmm. well what has god done for us he doesn't just sort of i mean he doesn't bring us into his kingdom and then leave us to fend for ourselves but he continues to feed us he continues to sustain us so that you know i mean as, as peter says elsewhere in chapter one he, we become obedient children or or we yeah. as he says here we grow up into salvation that this you know i mean it's just wonderful to see how god saves us he brings us into his kingdom but he doesn't like he doesn't say, okay, now it's up to you. He continues to feed us and sustain us so that, you know, like, how am I going to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy? <laughs> that sounds really yeah. hard. Yeah. It is really hard. It's it's only through the strength of God's word, his sustaining us, that that, that so- starts to happen. Absolutely. It's always God's gifts. In this case, the work of the Holy Spirit in our, our daily lives, right? Keeping us connected to the big gospel gift that he, that he gives us, um, which he's, you know, that's all over in this reading too. It's, it's all through Christ that it happens and it's distributed in our daily lives through the work of the spirit. And yeah, it's, he continues to take care of us, but it's always his work. Um, uh, right. Yeah. That idea. Yeah, um, well, I was just saying it, it, it's always, it's always his work. He's the one that yeah. does it. He, he feeds, he's the one who, who, grows us into salvation and and such that we do taste and see that the Lord is good, that yeah. we get to to speak with Peter, that wonderful confession, which we do use in, at least in one of the divine services, Peter's words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life are a part of the Alleluia verse that yeah. we yeah. sing right before the gospel reading. You know, and what a, what a bold confession that we make that that's the food for us. And, and we long for it. I mean, you know, Think about, think about your children when they're babies, what, when they're hungry, they cry, they're longing yeah. for that milk. Yeah. That's the, that's who we are as Christians longing to be fed by the word of God. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it always goes back to the gift that he's provided for us and now how he's providing that to us in our lives. And uh, Peter kind of stacks these things uh, first saying, yep, he's, our lives are going to be different. So put off all that, that malice. Um, this is how you're different. You've, you've, you've been reborn. He's giving you that, that milk. You're longing for it. Here's what it is, you know, and it's, 
and we're going to build on that in a daily basis. We're going to get to the, the stone stuff in a minute, but um, as he starts to bring up that, that analogy of the stone, we, we see, I think, these, these things start to come together. How is he providing that for us, the, the daily milk for us? Um, it's, it's by building us to that cornerstone. And as he starts to talk about that cornerstone in, in verse 4, uh, again, I can't help but hear echoes of other scripture passages. This time it's Isaiah 53 with the, the suffering servant song. He was despised and rejected by, man, by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Um, it just, the idea that he is the one that was rejected by the, the people, that's what we're being built into. It's, it sounds like Isaiah to me, um, which is fine because later on, Peter's going to cite from Isaiah outright. Uh, so I, I would imagine the prophet is very much on his mind as he's writing, and that's why this is all coming out together. Um, we should see these different connections all over the place. Mm. But uh, as he as he brings up that analogy, right, the the, the one that was rejected by men, uh, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, the, the gospel here is, is just abundant and apparent and clear. Uh, they're beautiful gospel parallels in this, or gospel analogies in this passage. They point, uh, they're on point for describing the community of God's people. And I think, again, especially for those who are in exile, as they no longer have a place where they are feeling strengthened and, and feeling that community. But he's saying, no, you do, because your community is not about a geography anymore. It's not about that physical temple. It's about something bigger. It's about something better. That's uh, the new temple, the new cornerstone. So while we may be rejected by men, we are now chosen as precious by God. The word uh, that they use for rejected here, um, you know, I'm going to stumble over the Greek, so... Forgive me. I'm going to let you because I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any better. <laughs> Apadakimatsu. Hey, there, I just said it while you're talking. So no one will notice if I screwed <laughs> up. Uh, but the idea here, um, it's that the stone wasn't worthy. It wasn't worthy for the project that they were trying to use it for, uh, which I think is, is fascinating. It's not just, you know, it wasn't shaped right or, or something that might be an aspect of, it, but the, the, the base of the word is the idea that it's not worthy for our time. Um, so that's the judgment that many of us might receive from the world, uh, but God overturns the world's judgment. Not worthy to be part of the, the sinful world's house, but he instead specifically chooses us to be built into his holy spiritual house. How many of us have experienced rejection? How many of us have been called unworthy or not good enough? But here God overcomes all of that in rejection that Christ experienced at the hands of those following the lies of this world. So just like Jesus, we have no place of belonging in this world, but God provides for that need himself. We have a place, a community, a new identity through Christ. And that's a pretty powerful thing. I, I was reminded of, of there, there's a, a, a psychologist, uh, Abraham Maslow. This is you know many, many decades ago now, but he came up with the hierarchy of needs. And belonging, that sense of, of belonging and love is right in the middle of his pyramid. You, you need that. That's an absolute fundamental need for, for people. And so here, when that need is not being met by the brokenness we see in the world, God provides for it. And he does so by choosing us specifically, calling us precious, and then giving us the identity as his holy priesthood. And holy, most of us understand, means set apart. And here we see for what purpose. The purpose we are being set apart for is to offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices that come through Jesus Christ. This is this is obviously different from Old Testament sacrifices. Otherwise, I don't think our, our altars are quite bloody enough. Um, mm. The poor sheep in, in bulls, I think, if, if we had to do it that way. But... Um, it's imagery that they're they're familiar with, right? It's it's the system that they they would have known, and so then his citations of again the prophet Isaiah here are going to bring make it more clear what the sacrifices are, what the acceptable sacrifice uh, that God is looking for is. And so the uh, the first quotation he has there is is from Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, which in its context or its fuller verse would say, "Therefore, thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am the one." 
who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. On the bigger scheme of things, Isaiah is prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem because of Judah's sinfulness. The people are, are going to be sent into exile in a very final way uh, as the, the temple and everything is going to be destroyed. Yet even from a destroyed city and a scattered nation, God can and will build a new Jerusalem and a new temple. The new and better Jerusalem, or you know, in this case they use the word Zion, uh, will be built upon a perfect foundation stone. Uh, that is going to be Christ. And then our connection to it, the, the rock upon which even Jesus says he will build the church, right, is faith in that promise, faith in him as the Messiah. That's a, a pretty wonderful thing. Um, yeah, then, let me let me uh, let me jump in there real quick, because I mean, as you're you're throwing a lot of great stuff out, the the thing with the exiles and the way that that Peter here talks about Jesus as the living stone rejected by men. I mean, that's precisely the experience of the people to whom Peter is writing. I mean, he's called them yeah. exiles. Yes. We're going to hear later on, he's going to be encouraging them repeatedly to endure under persecution and trial. He's already talked about the, the joy that we can have even in the midst of our sufferings and trials as our, yeah. as our yeah. faith is refined. So I think that, that fits very well. The, the thought that came to mind was you know, exiles are not only wondering about their rejection by men, but again, thinking through the experience of the people of Israel, exiles are also wondering, has God rejected me? That was one of the big questions, I think, that was was in the minds of the Israelites in Babylon. You know, what does this mean about who we are in relation to God? Has he rejected us forever? And and you get some of those, you know, those prophecies that are written to the exiles are so beautiful that, that no, he hasn't. You know, I mean, you mentioned Isaiah. Peter's been quoting Isaiah already. He quoted from chapter 40, just at the end of chapter one. He's going to keep referencing Isaiah later in this chapter and throughout his letter. I mean, that section of Isaiah is full of promises to exiles yeah. that, you know, if, if I'm an exile living in this world and I wonder, has God rejected me? What do I need to look at? Peter points us to Christ. If you think God has rejected you, no, look at Christ on the cross. And no, he hasn't, he hasn't rejected you, dear Christian. He has rejected his son in your place and then raised him from the dead to give that. I mean, oh, that, that gospel right there is so powerful, particularly to people like Peter's writing to. Yeah. Yep. I agree completely. And it just, it, it's so powerful and he just keeps going with it. He, he builds upon it. Sorry, uh, unintentional there, uh, <laughs> but that's what he's doing. Um, and it, you know, it's not just once he, I think it's interesting. He quotes from Isaiah twice here, back to back. And actually he brings in a Psalm too. Um, but, uh, what, what, we can talk about that, but, uh, it, Scripture is is on his mind uh, because of the strength that it brings to his people. This is what this is what unites God's people. This is the milk again that we are longing for, and so he's given it to him. Peter's just given it to the people. This is what he is he is doing here. It's what he's been called to do, and it's what he's going to do. It's, it's great. Um, uh, it, it really is, and, and the way that he you know he weaves together these various Old Testament quotations in verses six and following, you get at least three pretty direct quotes from the Old Testament. Yeah. As you said, two from the book of Isaiah, one from the Psalms. But even, even before that, just the way that, that Peter's knowledge of the Old Testament and his allusions to the Old Testament come through, I think are pretty amazing. In, yeah. in, we kind of, we skipped past this in, in verse three, you know, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Yes, yes. That's, that's the Psalms, Psalm 34, you know, taste yep. and see that the Lord is good. Yep. And, and this language that's in, oh, verses four and five about the holy priesthood, the, the being chosen and precious, which he's going to pick that language up again at the end. You yeah. know, that's drawing from Exodus, Deuteronomy. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, yeah. it's quite something to watch how, how capable Peter is with the Old Testament, weaving together these passages, you know, giving these people the spiritual milk of God's word that, that they're longing to receive, that they might continue to grow in salvation just to, I mean, you know, I just, I guess as a, as one who writes sermons on a regular basis, I, I admire Peter and, and the craft that he has, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but just to, yeah. to watch him do this is just spectacular. 
Well, he's very much a, a man of the word, right? And and that makes sense that he would do this. He it's we know that even when he's following Jesus, right? They're going to the synagogues. They're hearing these things. It's it's a part of their lives, and so it's it, they have done. Uh, faithfully what God has been instructing them to do all along. Write them on your hearts and on your minds. Have it bound to your forehead and your arms so that it is with you everywhere. Uh, his life is a demonstration of that. And he's able, that's why he's able to do this. Just pick it up and say, oh yeah, and the prophet said this, and the prophet said that. And so using this language, and the people are going to be recognizing this too. And if this is the milk that they're looking for, they're going to thrive on it. And so it is a beautiful thing. So, yeah, it, it, it really is. And, and I think that's that's a good place to go ahead and take our break so sure. that we don't pick up a new topic just yet. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. I have Pastor Rick Jones looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 today. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, April 9th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We have Pastor Rick Jones with us. He serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, prior to the break, we were talking about this rather lengthy section here in the middle where Peter is using the image of the living stone. He's drawing from a lot of different Old Testament places, and we've still got more to look at there. But before we go there, you mentioned previously when we're talking about the spiritual milk and the word of God, how Peter's own life as a disciple of Jesus in John chapter six, we can see some reflections of it there. I've always thought in this section where Peter's talking about the living stone and being Mm -hmm. built together, that Peter's confession of Christ and what Jesus says to him afterwards about the the church being, what do you, what do you think? Is there some background there that that's probably in Peter's mind as he's saying these things? Well, yeah, I don't know how there can't be, uh, right. He, he has, he's given the incredible experience of when Jesus asks, well, who do people say that I am? You know, they answer. And, and then he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And, you know, Peter says, well, you're, you're the promised one of God, the Christ. And uh, in response to that, Jesus says, and you, Peter, this is the rock on which I will build my church. Um, and now we have Peter having received that incredible, you know, commendation by by Christ himself um, giving the word to the people and he's doing so by saying yeah we're building it on this cornerstone this foundation stone uh, and you're now living stones in this I don't know that he he I I think I would have a hard time not recalling that experience with the savior uh, <laughs> uh, when I'm talking about these things so I, I don't think it's 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 definitely on his mind I believe that uh, as he's saying, yeah, we're, we're building, we're built together on this foundation, this, this faith in who this, who Jesus is, is how we are being built together. It's where our unity is coming from. It's where our new identity is coming from. And you have this, you have this support, you have this structure, you have this ongoing um, dwelling within the house of God, because you are these stones founded on the cornerstone that is Christ and faith in him. And so I think, yeah, he's calling back to his life, his experiences with Jesus uh, when this is happening. Um, he, but he's not doing it. I mean, it is a different word, um, and you you had mentioned that, right? He here it's it's lithos instead of Petra, um, and so it's he's not saying I'm the I'm the the foundation of the church, but it's it's what I said, right? That act was the 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 the, the faith to be able to say that Jesus is the Christ. That is what this is all built on. And that trust, that faith is what we are founded on together. That's what it means to be chosen by God, called together, assembled into this spiritual house with him. Uh, yeah. It's to, to found it on that faith. Right, 
Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. The, the Greek word's not the same as what you get in Matthew 16 and 1 Peter 2. It is the same image, though. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've, always, yeah. I've always thought that, you know, if, if ever there had been a time that Peter wanted to say <laughs> the papacy or, or I, Peter, as a man, that's the foundation of the church, this was the place where he could have done it. You know, I mean, it wouldn't have been sure. a very big leap for him to have. And, and we know that Peter's got Jesus words on his mind. We can mm-hmm. see that elsewhere. Yep. But he doesn't do that here. He talks about Jesus as the living stone and the rest of us being built around this living stone and becoming yep. living stones in him. Yep. I mean, yep. it, it, I really think that this is an important text when we think about what does that that those words of Jesus in Matthew 16 mean about the, on this rock, I'll build my church. It's not Peter, the man it's, it's Jesus. And that confession of who he is mm-hmm. as the, as the true cornerstone. And I think that really, you know, I mean, that, that helps us as we think about how Peter's going here, you know, he says for you, Christians, yep. you who are rejected, you are exiled, but you're holding on to Jesus. You, you will not be put to shame and honor is for you. But for those who reject Jesus, for those who are unwilling to go the way of the cross and and hold on to Christ crucified, which you'll remember in Matthew 16, Peter wasn't ready for that at that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus said, okay, you've said I'm the Christ. Well, that means I'm going to suffer, die and rise. And Peter says, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what, what Peter's doing here, he's, he's really showing us what that, what that means in practice. For you as Christians, you hold on to that one who's rejected and now alive. If you reject him, well, he becomes this stone of stumbling, this rock of offense. And, and he, he goes back into those Old Testament quotations. Yeah. So, so pick up yeah. there again. Yeah. So uh, as, as you're alluding to, it's, it's, it's more than just, you know, Peter saying, hey, you can trust me because I'm, I'm the one that he called the rock. I know your strength comes from this foundation, this cornerstone, who is Christ. Uh, but that brings with it something very contrary to what the world around you is saying. And for us, this is our strength, but to them, it is going to be a stumbling block. And so he's bringing back, uh, you know, the words of Isaiah. This time it's uh, Isaiah eight fourteen, And he will become a, a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then just going back up a little bit, you know, he talks about the the stone that the builders rejected. That's from Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, he's clearly quoting the prophet, but he also is quoting the psalmist here. And so bringing these two together, the, the Psalm 118 and these passages from Isaiah, uh, they're so intertwined in Peter's mind that he's, he's definitely bringing them together. You know, he conflates them as sort of one citation. Um, so the apostle is doing a little bit of exegesis for us here, right? Letting scripture interpret scripture. And he's uh, interpreting that stumbling block for the sinful world as the cornerstone of God's people. So what is a great source of strength and unity and faith for us is something that's going to make others trip and fall and, and, and hurt themselves. It is the, the opposite of, of what it becomes for us. And that tracks with the distinction of the Christian life uh, lived in truth versus the deception of our sinful natures uh, from the opening verses, right? We have to put off all that stuff is it is, it is harmful to us. We need something else. Those who cannot see the truth or maybe those who refuse to see the truth are going to trip over it. The free grace of God's work in Christ, that is our salvation, is not by works of strength, intellect, money, or influence, but rather it's by simple faith. We trust in the word. It's, it's, it's a stumbling stone or a rock of offense for the sin-broken world, but for us it is, it is strength. I think it's interesting that it's, it's the rock of offense there. Uh, offense here, the Greek word is, is scandalon. So faith in the gospel is literally scandalous. I just, I, I, that's such a, a, a stark contrast to what we see uh, people trying to live their lives when in fact it's, it's simply about surrendering to the trust that he has already provided for you. We connect yeah. to that cornerstone and, and we are, we are built up. Uh, as, as you're, as you're going through the way that Peter's, you know, tying these things together and particularly how, how Jesus 
Christ crucified, you know, the gospel is this scandal on this stumbling stone. I I was reminded of, and I, I think this fits because of the situation to which Peter's writing. I was reminded of John the Baptist in prison. Remember when, when John's in prison, he sends those two messengers to Jesus and they ask, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And Jesus gives him the answer, quoting from Isaiah and says, you know, (laughs) he quotes all these things that he's doing. The last of which is the poor have good news preached to them. But then Jesus ends like this. He says, blessed is the man who's not caused to stumble. Who's not, it's the verb form of that same Greek word. Who's not scandalized because of me. Yeah. Well, well, why would a person be scandalized because of Jesus? Well, because he's the crucified savior because yeah. he, he wins your salvation through suffering and you follow him in that suffering. And so, I mean, I think in the midst of all of these things that Peter's writing here, he's, he's telling these Christians, look, this is who you are. You're the one holding on to Jesus, even in the midst of your exile. Don't let go. Don't let him become that stumbling block that he is to so many. You keep holding on because even though he is a stumbling block to the world that that can't understand a crucified God, for you, he is the cornerstone. Hold on to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 a, yeah. We, we hold on to the thing that others are going to be stumbled by because it's exactly contrary to what our sinful natures want us to do. It's contrary to the lie that we all want to believe, right? In our, our sinfulness, we want to look to our works, our own abilities for our salvation. But here, if we continue the metaphor, uh, it would be about our worth, our value, our place of belonging. It's the op- that's, what, that's the opposite of rejection, right? It's a place where we belong and are accepted, chosen as precious. But that's exactly how God works, right? He's going to overturn the, the, the arrogant uh, sinfulness. So instead of Instead, because we have been rejected, he sends his son to be rejected in our place. And so our faith in him becomes the cornerstone, the foundation to which we now belong and upon which God accepts us and builds us into a new community. And all of it provides a new identity for us. It's not determined by our worldly status, but instead it's determined by his love for us. We are his chosen holy people, a prized possession even. And that is demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to lay down his own life for us. And Peter's just further pushing us towards that. This is where your strength comes from. This is where your nourishment comes from. This is where your identity, your solidarity, your unity comes from. I think um, he he continues to build on it in verse 9 as he lays out multiple aspects of this new identity we are given by our faith in the cornerstone and by our connection to that cornerstone. And there are several church fathers that, that talk about this too, Andreas and Beattie and um, Didymus the Blind and, and many others, but they're kind of, they go all over, but collectively they suggest that th- there's sort of a, a threefold identity here. One, that we are a chosen race selected by God's grace, not our efforts or merit. Uh, so pure grace, not works, right? It's right there. Uh, second, we are a pr- royal priesthood. We are royal because our identity derives from Christ. He is the king of, of all creation. So by virtue of his work for us, we are now considered royal as well. And then a, we are a holy, again, that means set apart nation. And what are we set apart for is, is what follows uh, in, the, in the verse. It says, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so they see us in that threefold nature, chosen, uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And all of it, the purpose for which is to proclaim the blessings that God provides for us, that we are brought out of darkness into his light. In our new identities, uh, we're described as, as beings of grace, we're made royal through Christ's divine nature and given the purpose of proclaiming his gospel blessings to all people. That is our function as priests to bear witness to the word of salvation. Uh, and what is this going to look like? It's going to look like how we live our daily lives. So going back to um, what Peter talks about in the opening verses here. Um, but again, we put that off. So we are, we're trying to 
crucify with Christ our sinful natures so that the new redeemed nature can be revealed. Uh, that identity we are get, given as we are built onto the foundation stone, the cornerstone of Christ. And actually, um, I looked at what Luther said on some of his sermons on this, and that's what he says is the only, what is that acceptable sacrifice? It is that that life of repentance. Um, so I think we're in good company with us saying these things. <laughs> yeah, I, the, these last two verses of this text are, are I think, often quoted. Uh, they're, they're often particularly known, I think, among Lutherans with this, the royal priesthood or what we'll yeah. call the, the priesthood of the baptized, that, yep. that this applies to all Christians. This yeah. is the calling that, that all Christians have. And it, here again, Peter is really hearkening back to some Old Testament language, yeah. you know, these these this language of chosen race, uh, a kingdom of priests being holy, a people that belong to God. This was yeah. how the Lord described his own people, Israel Absolutely. in the old Testament. And now he's Peter saying primarily, I mean, it likely to, to Gentile Christians, if not, you know, a majority, but certainly included in these exiles that are living throughout Asia minor. That's who you are. You yeah. are this, this new Israel. I mean, I thinking back to the very introduction our guest who who we had for the beginning of First Peter mentioned the the sprinkling with his blood that's mentioned in yes, just yeah. the second verse, right? What's the how, what does that mean? Well, now Peter's drawing that out for you. It means you are the new Israel. You are this priesthood. So take us into more of the significance of these these various labels that Peter yeah. gives to the church here. Yeah, again, um, the, there were church fathers that kind of saw a threefold sort of thing. So I, I kind of took the next step and said, well, we, we know Jesus has a threefold office, right? The threefold office of Christ is prophet, priest, and king. So do we see that being applied to us in, in, in here? And I don't think it goes to the, the same extent, uh, but... Uh, so not that we are all of these things with a clear office calling and clearly not with the authority of Jesus' divine nature, but I think our new identities do show some of these things. So uh, as living stones built upon the cornerstone of Christ himself, our identity is going to flow from his. So if the prophet's job was to proclaim God's word to the people, and we are told that that is our purpose here to bear witness to his His. Um, excellencies, then we are sort of fulfilling that role. Um, priests were the ones who interceded with God on behalf of the people. Uh, Christ is the perfect high priest and our perfect intercessor, but we know that through him we now have access to the Father and we are told to bear witness to God. We're also told to pray for others and we are told to live our lives as faithful sacrifices. So in those ways, we function as the priesthood, and as you alluded to, the priesthood of all believers. And then finally, um, the the verses here call us a royal priesthood. So we are not, you know, our, our people in the pews, and, and we ourselves are not kings or queens, uh, but we do serve our neighbor out of the love with which our Heavenly Father has served us. That's our stewardship, our vocations. So in as much as a king should serve his people, we function as royalty set apart in this world to serve our neighbor. Again, all of this comes only from our being built together upon the cornerstone of Christ. And so as he is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king, as our identity is derived from him being built up as a living stone uh, on his foundation cornerstone, then we have a little bit of this threefold office ourselves. We are ambassadors to it, if you will, to bring in some some Pauline language. Yeah, I think, I mean, of the, the threefold office of Christ, I think for us as Christians today, it is the strangest for us to think of ourselves as participating in that office of king. And I mean, to, yeah, to, yeah. Be a, to be a prophet, one who proclaims the excellencies, who speaks the word, we, we see that. To be a priest, the one who, who prays on behalf of the world, on behalf of the people, the mm -hmm. one who, who offers, you know, a sacrifice, again, spiritual sacrifices, as you've said. But to be a king, we, that, that sounds a bit strange. But I think the way that you phrased it is very helpful. You know, think about how Jesus went and, and he proclaimed the reign or the kingdom yeah. of God. Well, what does it mean to be a part of that reign of God? Think of the way that Jesus talked to his disciples when they were 
constantly worried about who's the greatest among them. But Jesus said, you know, what does it mean to live under my reign? It actually means to be the servant of all, just, just as he is the servant. And so for us, how do we, you know, how do we reign with Christ? And that, that's very biblical language that, you know, the book of Revelation talks that way that we'll reign with Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means we serve. Uh, and just like just like you said, I think you I think that that's a, a fantastic explanation of of what it means to participate in that that threefold office of Christ. I want to make sure we we hit on verse ten at least briefly, just because sometimes we we verse nine is great, and but man, verse ten is so powerful too. You know, I mean, once you weren't a people, think think yeah. about what what he had said. You know, all those futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, the passions in your ignorance before. Once once you were not a people, once you hadn't received mercy. But now you are God's people, and now you have received mercy. This is this is drawing from the book of Hosea, actually. I mean, it's just oh, yeah, it's yeah. amazing Lord how. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is almost straight from the book of Hosea. It's amazing again how how Peter is just drawing from all these sometimes, at least for for us today, to our shame, obscure <laughs> passages yes, for yeah, us. Yeah. Peter's got them on the tip of his tongue, and, and he's using yeah. that again. Here's the the spiritual milk for the people of God that we long to receive it and grows us into, into that salvation that God has for us. It's, it's quite marvelous. We've, we've got about seven minutes here, Pastor Jones, and plenty of time for further reflections, perhaps on the, on the passage as a whole, this, this text is, again, we've, we've pulled out particular verses that, oh yeah, we know those um, verses nine and 10, as we've been saying, verse two of this, like newborn infants, is part of the intro it for the second Sunday of Easter. So, I mean, you know, that, that it's a very, you know, it's an Easter text. Think about Jesus has been raised from his grave. And so the, the very next Sunday, what do we say? We're, we're born again in him. Yeah. How else do we see this, this text in the life of the church, in the life of Christians? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I always like looking at how, um, you know, the church at large uses the various passages that we're going to look at. And so this one is actually, the, the first Peter two, it's actually two through 10 is the epistle reading for Easter five. Um, and it shows up alongside Acts six, one through nine, and then it jumps to seven, two, and then 51 to, to 60. And the gospel lesson is, is John 14, one through 14. And I think these three pair very well together um, as, as Peter's been talking about, okay, Here's, here's what your life looks like, and here's why. Because you're built onto this cornerstone. You're built into the strength and unity and a new people now in the name of Christ. Here's, here's what that's actually going to look like. And I think we get ties to even the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the, the holy nation. So if we look at how these passages are used with second, with First Peter, I think some beautiful things come out. So in the Acts lesson, it opens with the disciples' um, being described as distinguished as a group apart from the public. They're all together. They're kind of in hiding. Um, They're bound together and defined by their connection to Jesus, to calling him the Christ and their proclamation of him. Uh, They even say, uh, they, they complain that it's not right for them to hide and it's not right for them not to be preaching and ministering in Jesus' name following the crucifixion and resurrection. So their identity is in question because they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. Um, and then the text also stresses that um, it is the word working through them and that in this happening, the body of believers is growing. So that's the first sort of half the passage. That's the, the chapter six, verses one through nine. And then when we jump ahead, it's it's Stephen. It's, it's Stephen's proclamation among the Jews, uh, which will result in his becoming the first martyr. But the themes of his speech are similar to those in our pericope from First Peter. Stephen calls the, the Jewish people stiff-necked and accuses them of forsaking the prophets in their betrayal um, or perhaps rejection of Jesus as the Christ. So the stumbling stone, right? Uh, and then again, the rejected cornerstone. So ultimately, we see Stephen exercising the identity that Peter describes for God's people, royal priests offering acceptable sacrifices. And the work of God's royal priesthood is to proclaim the word. That's what he's doing. The sacrifice is the life of faith, which unfortunately Stephen is going to offer up in the most ultimate sense um, at the end of the passage. But that's that's what it is. We see in that Acts passage, the people of God, the people that are those living stones built on the cornerstone of faith in Christ, 
they're going to live out that identity. And then in the gospel lesson from, from John 14, it's the familiar passage of Jesus um, comforting his disciples in the prelude to his crucifixion. He's assuring them that he must go in order to prepare a place for them in, in the kingdom of God. And he promises they will know the way to that kingdom. And then Thomas questions him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? Jesus responds by clearly proclaiming that he himself is the way to the Father's kingdom and that our access is through our faith in him and our a life that reflects that faith. Uh, John 14, 12 says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. There's always some discussion on what these greater works are as Jesus is, you know, He's God, we're not. So how can how can we do greater works than than Christ does? Well, I think part of it is an allusion to the work that we are called to do as the royal priesthood. So just as the apostles did, and as we saw Stephen do, we proclaim the mercy and grace of God. We proclaim his excellencies by which he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So our words and lives of faith become the means by which God will call others to himself. And in that way, we are the extension of the kingdom and the the vessels through which he continues to grow that kingdom. We are the stones built on the cornerstone of Christ. As the living stones of witness, the Holy Spirit continues to build more and more stones into that spiritual house of God's chosen and holy people. I think that's where the greater comes in. It's not greater as in it's a more amazing deed or a more powerful deed, but it's it's greater in number. We're going to see the church grow and become a multitude. That multitude that no one can count in the book of Revelation uh, happens because God works through our lives of witness, our lives as the royal priesthood. That's the Holy Spirit's work, and we get to see that while Jesus has has gone to his throne. So again, some well-chosen readings to help build upon and strengthen the identity of God's people as the royal priesthood and a chosen nation of Christ. It would have been beautiful um, for those that are in exile, you know, having no place that they can call their own. Uh, but now for us, even in this world, we can we have the truth. We have these wonderful blessings uh, in our salvation from Christ, but we live in a world that that tells us we're foolish or, or, or wrong or evil for believing these things. And so we don't always have that, that strength. But here Peter is showing us, no, you have that strength because you as a group of confessing people have that unity and that strength on the cornerstone. Pastor Rick Jones is the chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota, helping us this morning with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Pastor Jones, thanks for being our guest today. Absolutely. Always appreciate it. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about 1 Peter chapter 2 or any of this epistle or the next couple, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.